heard again, and we've been traveling through the book of Acts, I want to ask you a question. When did God first reveal himself to you? Think about that. Maybe you're sitting out there and saying, man, you know, Jesus has not revealed himself to me. I've never come to a place yet that I know that he's there or that he's real. But if he has appeared to you, if he had, and it's not so much appears to you as he's made himself known to you, if he has, when did that happen? When did the Lord first reveal himself to you? And how did that happen? How did that take place? And how was that involved in in you taking the steps to be converted, meaning changed and saved and become a new creation? And and how did that click into your calling? What God was calling you to do and to be because he's made you unique unto yourself. When did that happen? Think about that. Because we're traveling through the book of Acts. And we're finding these different key people, they're coming to Christ. They're discovering that Jesus is real after he's already died, resurrected, and then has left the planet. And, and he's meeting people still. And he's meeting people through his apostles and his disciples. And here we are today in Acts chapter 9, and the apostle Paul, who is called Saul here, because Saul had two names. His Hebrew name was Saul, his Roman name, because he was a Roman citizen, was Paul. So anytime you hear me talking about Saul today, it's Paul, and Paul is Saul. Same person. But in Paul's story of coming to faith, it's in Acts chapter 9. It is one of the most dramatic and lengthy and well-known stories in the Bible. Most of us, if we've been around the church or been around the scriptures, we've read that story. Yet, do you know why? Why Luke was so inspired to include Paul's conversion story when there were so many other conversion stories that he left out. And really, this wasn't that long of a book. I know it has 20-some chapters in it, in the book of Acts, but it's not that long, and he gives a lot of room for Paul's conversion. Well, I'm here to tell you that Paul told us why. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 through 16, and it'll be up on the screen behind me, and you can check it out in your Bible. This is why... Luke included Paul's conversion and calling. And this is what we're to learn from that, really. And so here's what Paul says. Are you ready? And he's giving you the why and the what. He says this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what's his mission. I'm coming to love and save sinners. I'm not coming to condemn them. I'm not coming to rub their face in it. I'm not coming to bring a reckoning and we're going to pound some people and get things right. I've come to save sinners. And then Paul says this, of whom I am the worst. Who out there thinks they rival Paul at being the worst sinner? Come on, raise your hand. Get him up there. Yeah, yeah, me too. I said the same thing at one point. How in the world, in fact, others said that about me, too. They probably said that about you, too. Man, that person will never be saved. Man, that person, oh, golly. And here you stand today, saved and following the Lord. And so Paul says, of whom I am the worst. But here it goes. But for this very reason, here's the answer. I was shown mercy 
so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience and tremendously generous grace as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life afterwards. Wow! I'm so glad that Luke included Paul's conversion in the book of Acts. I'm so glad that Paul told us why. Jesus had a plan. So I want you to read with me Luke's account. Luke's account of Paul, known as Saul, his calling and his conversion. And as you read it, I want you to consider something, how it it kind of parallels and connects with your own conversion and calling. You can kind of use it as a way to evaluate your conversion and calling or to be encouraged in your conversion and calling and to be inspired to be involved with God in the conversion and calling of other people. Because that's the Lord's will. That's what he wants to do. And that's what he's doing through the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible, let's turn to chapter 9. Let's start reading in verse 1, and we'll read through 19. Meanwhile, we know that the church is moving forward. They've been persecuted. They've left Jerusalem. All the different believers that have been scattered and planted are sharing the gospel, and people are coming to Christ. And this gospel is moving now. It headed to Ethiopia now through the Ethiopian eunuch, and now it's, it's on the move to other places, well beyond Damascus. It's going on to the far reaches of the world, and it's fast moving. And so it says, while this is happening, meanwhile, Saul, who was a Pharisee, who was a leader, who stood by as Stephen was stoned, the first martyr of the Christian church, uh, this man was zealous for his Hebrew faith. He was a religious zealot. It says, he was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. You ever been around a person like that? They have clarity of vision. They're ready to go. And he was on the hunt for Christians. And he was going to bring them and arrest them and put them to death if possible. He was going to bring some pain to them. And then it goes on. And he went to the high priest. He asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. It would be legal. He would have the authority of the religious institutions to be able to come and arrest and take back these believers. And then it goes on, as he neared Damascus, though, he's coming, he's clear in his vision. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, They'd heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, because he was just tugged down, when he opened his eyes, he said that he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand, his buddies did, into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. 
So apparently these believers were pretty tight with the Lord, and they were used to hearing him, and, and, and he was speaking somehow through thoughts through their minds. We don't know if it was in an audible voice. The Lord doesn't tend to do that very regularly, but this is what's been written, and these are the accounts that were given among the disciples. And it says here that Ananias said, Yes, Lord, he answered. He knew who was talking to him. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And you know, by the way, you can go there to uh, Damascus, and that road is still there. Wouldn't that be cool to be on that road and know that? (laughs) This is where God did some amazing work way back when, in the beginning, when it all began, the church began to spread. But that, that road is still there. And so it goes on, and he says, go to Jerusalem, or he says, excuse me, go to Judas, the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Saul, praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. He's hearing more from the Lord, Paul is. He, he said that he sees this man, Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Here's Ananias, says, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. God, what are you doing? You're asking me to do something very risky, very dangerous. What's up? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Second time he's told him that. Now there's an exclamation point. Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. He's letting Ananias know his vision for Paul and Paul's mission in life. He is to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. Not everyone's going to get this calling. And to the people of Israel... Three things. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. We don't like to hear that as 21st century believers. But sometimes our calling includes suffering with Jesus and for Jesus in his glory, to fellowship with Jesus in the work that he calls us to. Then Ananias, he knew who was Lord. He obeyed. He went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, he accepted him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized in the name of Jesus and after taking some food, He regained his strength. Wow. What a great story. What an encouraging story. What a challenging story in many respects. Wow. Saul's calling and conversion, his calling from the Lord and his conversion, his change, his coming to faith, it's really kind of a paradigm for us. It's a paradigm. It's a pattern. It's a model. It's a template for us. And we need to, if we're taking notes, we need to put those words down. And it's a template for every believer's conversion and calling. There are some things that happen here that happen all the time, even though 
people have very unique and different callings. And, and then sometimes some different conversion experiences. Nevertheless, there are some principles that are the same. So what can we learn from Saul's experience of being saved and called? How does it mesh with ours? And how can we see it in other people so that we can join God in what he's doing in their lives and be a part of his kingdom? Well, let's consider some things. You ready? Here's the first one. Neither Saul nor the Ethiopian eunuch that was in Acts chapter 8 that happened just before who came to Christ, I want you to notice something. Neither one of them were brought to Christ in Jerusalem. Both of them had worshipped in the temple, but neither one of them were introduced to Christ or came to faith, and God did not meet them there. He didn't meet them in the church. He didn't meet them in the holy city. See, they realized Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, and they put their faith in him while they were doing what? Traveling. While they were on the road. That's where they discovered Jesus. Think about it. Where did you discover the Lord? Where did God first speak to you? God first revealed himself to me in my bedroom. At the ceiling. You've heard me talk before, right? I said, God, if you were there, when are you ever going to save me for myself? I was desperate. I was in trouble. I was angry. I was everything, you name it. And, and I was desperate. And at that moment, something snapped up top. And I knew, that's all it took, was a snap. I knew that I knew that I knew God was there. God was there. And, I, and so I said, okay, what do I do next? Who are you? And then I, I really, then, then something inside said, Jesus, I'm Jesus. So you're going to have to find me. It took me about three or four weeks to actually figure out how to get to a church and then how to accept the Lord. It took about a week. But I was on a journey because God was revealing himself and calling me to himself. And we were having conversations. What about you? See, it doesn't always have to be in church. Some people say, well, I've got to get people to come to church, you know, and then the Lord can work in their lives. Well, sure, that's not bad. That's good. You can come into a community of places. But you know what? You don't have to. You don't have to come to a church. It doesn't have to be the pastor that prays for you to accept Christ. You can pray for them to accept Christ. They can pray to accept Christ. Because here's the first point. God meets and he calls and he transforms people wherever he chooses. And when and where he chooses. It's God's choice, amen? And he can do it. So God can meet and call and transform people and, and work beyond religious ceremonies or gatherings. Or even the church, per se, officially. He can do that. And he's big enough to do that. You knew that there was a, a pastor's wife praying for me every day at 5 o'clock that I would come in the morning, that I would come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior because I was the friend of her son who was on our football team and had moved to our city. And she was praying that I would come to Christ, and before the year was out, I did. I found him, and the Lord spoke. What about you, and what about those in your life? See, many times it's not at church or at an altar call at the end of a message that people come to Jesus. 
Jesus revealed himself to Saul. He called him, and he did it while he was on a murderous mission to take out those who were following Jesus as the Messiah. A murderous mission. Think about that. Are there any limits to God's self-revelation of himself to believers or non-believers? No. That would tell you there's no limit. God can do what God wants to do. God reveals himself to whomever he chooses, when and where he chooses. He does. And his grace is there. Christ has died for all and the door is open. And God can and will do that. Right? And yet the men who were traveling with with Saul, they saw the commotion, they heard the sounds, but they didn't see anyone and they didn't understand the voice, the sound that they heard as a voice. They just knew something bad happened, and they're like, well, what in the world just happened? And they don't know, because you know, them coming to faith was going to happen in another way and in another place. It was not for that time, because God reveals himself to whomever he wants, whenever he wants, whenever he wants. See, I'm even cognizant in this very room that there are those that God is trying to reveal himself to that are praying and saying, Lord, are you there? And God is saying, I'm there. And you might be like me, man, if I give my life to you, you better change me (laughs) and make me brand new because my life stinks or I'm not going to give my life to you. And you might hear the Lord say, I will. That's what he said to me, I will. I said, all right, here we go. My whole life changed. I changed. Just like that. With that complete surrender. Maybe you have too. Maybe he's speaking to you too. Don't cloud him out. Don't shut him down. Listen to his revelation. But I want you to notice some other things here in this passage and, and around this first point. And you can write these in your notes as well. And this is so important to see. It says a light flashed around him. You know? You know, many times in history, the history of the church, we see Paul riding on a horse coming in and getting knocked off the horse. Even I thought that before. Or you, you have Paul walking in, and he goes to the ground, and you feel like God just kind of smacked him on the ground and got his attention. Well, God didn't do any of that. He was probably walking, because there's no mention of a horse, no mention of a chariot, no mention of anything. He was probably walking. And it says that he fell to the ground. Do you know that there have been... Um, Most of us probably do know that, that the military's been experimenting with light technology, that they can flash light so bright that you'll just barf right there. Light so bright, it'll just knock you over, and you'll lose all bodily functions. So that means you know what, right? You're doing it all over yourself right there on the ground. And it was just light. There is that kind of technology out there. This light was so bright, and yet he just went to the ground. He didn't throw up, no bodily loss, didn't lose any bodily function. I'm here to tell you something. Is Jesus revealed himself in his glory to Saul before he rebuked him for his sin, before he told him how he had to repent? That's an important point to get. Jesus revealed himself in his glory to him, to Saul, before he rebuked him. Saul was a murderous wreck. 
if anybody deserved what we would call militant discipleship <laughs> or militant evangelism, remember I used to talk to you about that when I first came to Christ, where you grab somebody and throw them up against the wall and ask them why they haven't accepted Jesus? That doesn't work with family members. That's how it used to be in our family. But that doesn't work, I'm just here to say, and it's not condoned of the Lord. I want, I want to suggest to you something that I read, and, and I went, wow, that is so true. God came close, and he hugged, and he held Saul. Can you buy that? He showed his light. He showed himself. If you read later, you find out that Saul actually saw the Lord. He saw the risen Christ in that. And he let him know that the door of repentance and acceptance and right relationship was open to him. He said, I'm going to take you. I, I can save you. I can love you. I've died for you. Think about the worst person you can think of right now. The most despicable. I'm sorry to tell you, Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. Saul really was the worst of all sinners. Think about if he would have taken your mom or dad who had been taking you to church all your life and he had put them in prison and then stood by while they were executed. And here's the man who did it. You know how you would feel? But maybe as a believer you could feel how Christ felt. Here is just another one of my sons, my creation that's lost, that needs forgiveness. This is another person I have died for. And just like you can't figure out, you know, you read the, the, the book Shack, it says, God asked, well, if you, if you don't want, if you want people to be judged, then which of your sons do you want to die? Which, which of your sons do you want to face judgment? And then, and, and, well, I'm getting into a long thing and I better stop. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to come back to the truth here. The truth is this. God loves us. He loves you. And he loves sinners. And he's come to show them his love because Jesus died for that. And so he hugged him. He hugged him and he revealed himself to him before he rebuked him. That's so important to see. Do you realize that God reveals himself to whomever he, he, he wants, whenever he wants, and wherever he wants? And, and are you joining that? You can join that and be a part of that because that's how God works. Here's the second point. Saul responded with one of the most important questions you can ever ask as a believer or non-believer. Um, and, and it was so great. It's such a simple question, such an important question. Think about it for yourself. If you had the chance to ask God a question, what would you ask him? Would you ask him what Saul just asked God? Or would you ask another question? You know, Gallup did a survey years back, and they asked people, what are the three questions that you would like the most ask God if you had a chance to ask God? This is what the five responses were, and they'll be up on the board, and you can take a look at them. And this is what people ask God. Will there ever be lasting world peace? How can I be a better person? What does the future hold for my family and me? Will there ever be a cure for all disease? Why is there suffering in the world? And you know what's strange about some of those questions? Is that most of those questions are answered in God's Word. And so it lets you know right away that people aren't going to His Word to get answers for life. And, and, and their real answers for life, or the real answers for their struggles, 
because most of them are right in the Bible. They're there, and the answers are there. But Saul asked the first right question. You know what that first right question is? Who are you, Lord? Who is Lord in your life? Who are you, Lord? We've got to ask that question with a humble heart and ask it to God. When I ask God, are you there? If you're there, when are you going to ever save me? And God showed me there. I said, then who are you? And I knew right away it was Jesus. Okay. Jesus showed Paul exactly who, he, who God is. And he showed you and me who God is when he lived among us. He can answer that question for you and I. Who is he, Lord? Paul spent the rest of his life wanting to know more completely the answer to that question. In fact, he prayed for the Ephesians, and we just read this prayer in our small group Bible studies not too long ago, and he prayed this. He prayed that they would have a more intimate and ever-growing, sure answer to this question of who is the Lord. And this is what he prayed in Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's what Paul was praying for. That answers every question, doesn't it? We think, oh no, I want healing from this, or oh, I want an answer of what I should do with my life. Oh no, I want to, to have my need met here. But the fact of the matter is, if God shows you he's there, if he shows you his heart for you, that changes everything, doesn't it? That goes well beyond. Because then you know you're going to have every other need you're going to need. Every other thing you're going to need. You have confidence to face any trial or any struggle you're going through. If you know he's there. Some of you have heard me say before, growing up, I you know, had older brothers and sisters and they were like 10 years the youngest one was 10 years older than me. But if I ever started a fight, I, I knew that if my sister was home watching us, because she would always be watching, she was so nosy, she always wanted to know what was going on. So if she heard that things were happening, outside she'd get on the front porch and just watch. <laughs> it was great. And so that's when I would pick, fight with really, pick fights with really older, bigger kids. Because I knew that if they pounded me too hard and I really got in trouble, my sister would be off that porch so fast. Man, she'd be, bam, bam! She'd be all over them. And so I, I had the guts to do that, even though I knew I was going to lose, you know, uh, because my big sis was watching. When, when God, when you know God's there, you have confidence. You have confidence in everything you do. So that question is so important. Who are you, Lord? And are you here, Lord? You know, there's another important question that's inferred in our passage, and it's inferred by God, and this is it. This is the second most important question. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Are you asking God that question? I'm here to tell you, there are a lot hinges in your life on that. What do you want me to do? It's not some of the other questions we ask in life, but it's, a, it's an important second question. And when we ask it, we... We have to have a heart of submission and a, and a determination to obey. He's Lord. I need to trust him. He's got my best. 
See, the next most important thing when you ask these questions, who are you, Lord, and then what do you want me to do? The next most important thing to do is what? Respond obediently. Act on it. Do what you've been told to do. That's faith action, and that's evidence of faith. If, if God tells you what to do, and he shows himself to you and tells you what to do, and you just sit there on your rear, come on. That's not, what he, that's not faith. That might be 21st century America faith. Well, we get to hear a lot about Jesus. We get to hear a lot about being called. God will speak to our but we don't have to do anything. We can just go on. I come to church one way, leave the door the same way. But you know that's not fulfilling. That's not what any of us want. We want more. So we respond to the Lord. And when we respond to the Lord, it'll change our, our direction. And it will sometimes take us out of our comfort zone. The first obedient response was, was Saul getting up. And God said, get up and now go into Damascus. It was a double action. He had to take himself off the ground, and then he had to go into Damascus. And then he continued, Paul did, or Saul, in this pattern of response and repentance over three days. He didn't just sit there blind, but he prayed, remember? He, he soul-searched. He repented over and over again. He thought about everything that he had done that was wrong. He owned it and admitted it. He didn't just say, I'm sorry. He didn't just try to go on as if nothing ever happened. He admitted it, and he was honest about it, and he repented of it. So he soon began to, to pray, and the Lord continued to speak to him, and this time God speaks to him in a vision. Tell him what to do next. And his dependency on the ministry of a man named Ananias. So what he discovered is, I can't do God's will alone. I can't fulfill God's call in my life alone. I need other people involved. And I've got to involve others. And, and so he did. And, and, and then he received that promise that he would be healed of his blindness and be filled with the Spirit. And he kept taking those steps. See, an obedience response has to follow God revealing himself to you and to me. We must obey. To hear him speak, to know he's there, and then not do anything... It gets you nowhere. It doesn't. It gets you nowhere. So are we asking the right questions? And are we ob obediently responding? Well, now we're going to pick up pace with this message, okay? We're going to pick up pace. We're going to go through it real quick, the next two points, because I have somebody that's going to come up, and they're going to speak. But here's the next, number three point. When God says your name... When God gives you a command twice, we need to know he means it. That's indication. He means it. It's set. It's supposed to happen. Here God spoke in visions, right? And other times the Holy Spirit will communicate to us in thoughts, dreams, movements in our heart, those kinds of things, or even through his written word, the Bible. Yet here he spoke in visions, and here the Lord says something twice. He says, Saul, Saul, I want your attention. This is important. Get this. Why are you persecuting me? And then what did he say to Ananias twice? 
go, and then go. He told him to go and then go. That means it's emphatic. That means that it's full of passion. It's certain. So when God says your name or he gives a command twice, he means it. And we are to do that, and nothing's going to happen unless we do that. We're going to get stalled in our calling unless we do it. A lot of people don't know why they're in darkness in their walk with the Lord. It's because God has probably called you and told you to do something, and you said no. And you've said no for years. I can remember I stood in, a, in this college university football field next to the college that I went to. I stood there about midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and said, God, why has it been so clear what I was supposed to do up until this point? And I was coming toward my last year in college. Why is there darkness now? Why have I had so much struggle? Why has it been so hard? And the Lord said, because of what you said. And I said, what I said? And then I saw a vision in my mind. Me as a high school student sitting in my church that had a ch was going through a church split because half the church was running the pastor off. And me sitting there as a high school student at this arbitration meeting because I, I even then took leadership in the church as important. I was there every time the church was open, even though I came from a non-Christian family and it, it was the only one to ever come to Christ. And I'm sitting there, and what I declared at the back of the church was this. I will never pastor or lead people like this. <laughs> and the Lord brought that up and said, you told me that. And I went, oh my gosh. I go, I, God, I'm just like those people, aren't I? And the Lord said, yes. You, have to dis you had to discover you're just like those people. So yeah. And I went, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And I knelt there on that field and I asked God for forgiveness. And after that point, things began to clear up. Things started to open up and I realized I've been running from God's call in my life. And I wasn't going to go anywhere until I went back to that. God gave me that word. God gave me that call more than once, and I was refusing it. So I'm telling you, if God is telling, telling you to do something, God is calling you to do something, you need to do it, and you need to go back there if you've resisted it, get that right with him, and then obey and move forward. Number four, a call is a call to continued dependency. It's a call to continued uh, life of faith and processing your faith and obedience. We gotta keep walking with Jesus, and we gotta keep walking in what he told us to last do and keep drawing close to him. We have to obey him, and we have to keep in step with him, and keep in step with what he's telling us to do. Life as a disciple is a life that you're on the way. It's a long walk with Jesus, and it's a dynamic walk. That walk will have turns to it. It'll have bends to it. It'll slow, it will speed. Depending upon the Lord's pace. But we have to stay dependent upon him. And we have to stay dependent upon the people that he requires us to stay dependent upon too. Brothers and sisters. Because they're a part of us fulfilling our calling. Wow. And as we do that and we stay in that walk of faith, 
He, he conforms us into his image, and then he allows us to partner with him in his work to conform others into his image. Man, we get to be involved in the grand design. But if we will not follow him and be conformed and continually depend upon him, then we don't get to be involved with others in their lives to help them conform. Wow. We want to support and spur one another on to love and good deeds. I'm going to ask Jessica Koch to come forward this morning. Um, she's going to share with you, before I conclude, just a few thoughts. Because Jessica has had a call in her life to be a missionary in Nigeria. Amen? Yes. Amen. And I want her to share just a bit of her testimony and her calling. And I want you to ask God how he might want you to support her and her ministry, because we're, we're looking to do that as a church at large, uh, but you personally, but I also just want you to be encouraged by her testimony. So go for it, Jessica. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, so my testimony starts as a young girl in a Christian um, home and church. I was really blessed. I got that right out of the gate. I didn't know how amazing that is to have. Um, Something really hard happened in my family, fourth grade. And I didn't realize how beautiful the invitation to Christ was until actually this last year he opened that up to me and helped me see the reason I wanted him so badly was because of where I was personally with my home life. And I go to church camp and a guy's standing up there with a pitcher, and there's stuff in it, and you can put valuable stuff in it, cheap stuff in it. It doesn't matter what you put in this pitcher. This pitcher will never be full. It doesn't matter. Never going to be full. And over here, we got a pitcher full of water. And this pitcher full of water, when you pour it into this other pitcher, it's truly fulfilled. And fourth grade me is just sitting there, and I'm like, I have to have that because I was feeling unloved, unwanted, unfound, and in that moment I was adopted, loved, and grafted in with my father. And I always wanted to go back to that church camp. I always wanted to share with kids and let them know what it means to be invited into a relationship with their father. And so I go back at 15, and I'm driving there. No, I'm not. I'm riding. Sorry. Backseat. And... <laughs> In the back seat, I am panicking. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. Oh, no. Panic. And God is just like, stop saying I. It's not you. It's me. Stop. And it was the first time giving a preparing the lesson there because I, I didn't prepare it. I, I was very ill-prepared. Preparing the Bible lesson for those kids, and when I spoke to those kids, I had never felt the Holy Spirit speak through me until that day. And that's when he spoke over me and said, you will do this for the rest of your life. I never doubted if it was overseas ministry. I never questioned it. I knew it. That was it. Done. You think that's easy until you graduate high school and it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, not working, nothing's happening. You're supposed to be overseas, suffering for the Lord, being a broke missionary. Let's go. Wrong. Shut door after shut door. And I finally got to go to Haiti, and I fell in love with overseas ministry, and I came back, and I did not want to be here anymore. 
I wasn't going to cry. Um, <laughs> and everything just kept feeling like it was failing. I couldn't get overseas. Until December 2019, um, God told me to apply for the Japan 2020 Olympics outreach with SIM. And I did. And it got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm really done. You knew I was struggling, and I was sick of being called and rejected and called and rejected, and I'm done. And he's like, keep coming. So I did. I kept coming. We sent my information to five countries. And I was like, God, make this so clear. I can figure this out. One got back with me. Nigeria, okay. Have a Zoom meeting with Nigeria. How long am I supposed to go? And I begged God for scripture, and this is the scripture he brought me. In John 21, Jesus is about to go back to heaven, and he's talking to Peter, and he's saying, feed my sheep. In verse 18, he says this to him. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And I broke down like a schoolgirl, and I cried. I knew I had to go for two years. Don't ask where it came from. It was God. I don't know. Two years. And so I'll be in Nigeria doing full-time ministry for two years. My flights are booked for December 6th. I don't have a visa, but let's pray for a miracle, folks. Like, come yeah. on. Um, I'm at 91% of my monthly support, lacking $310 monthly. I have 200 people on my newsletter chain right now praying. I invite you to sign up for those. It's on the back table. I have the pleasure of working with women who have experienced severe trauma and processed through that and have healing so that they don't have to return to trafficking or abusive relationships, working with kids and just discipling them and letting them know that God loves them as God came to me as a fourth grader and showed me that kindness and compassion that a father invites you to. Amen. 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 Why don't you give a hand to Jessica? Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Jessica. Amen. You're going to be able to talk to Jessica more after the message, and she'll be out in the lobby, and she'll share more about her ministry. Um, here's a missionary, a person that's heard from the Lord. Uh, Cross-cultural missions, home missions, it's all mission. Maybe you're not called to be overseas, but God wants to call you to somebody, to something, to do something somewhere. And we've got to do that. And we've all got to walk in obedience to that. So as we leave our passage this morning, I just want to leave you with a few things just to chew on. No one is beyond saving. Amen? If this passage teaches us anything, it's that. No one is beyond saving. Don't see anybody as a lost cause. Nobody is a throwaway. Amen. No family member, no friend you have, no person around you. Um, you, get, you can keep praying for them. You can ask for God's mercy and grace upon them. 
and God will hear your prayer. And probably you know about those things because God wants you to intercede. He wants you to intercede. Next, what would have happened if Ananias had, hadn't been obedient to God? He hadn't followed the command God gave him. God probably would have found somebody else, right? He probably would have found somebody else who was willing and able. Um, will we obey the Lord today? To serve someone and even people that might be like Paul. That wretched, that bad, that much of an enemy of God's people. Will we be willing to do difficult things, even risky things, hard things? It's not easy as a young woman to head to Nigeria and to be involved in a mission, outreach to women. But God has called and she's going to obey. Are we going to obey? We're called to some of those same kinds of things, and they have, they have the same magnitude and same importance right here. Are we willing? Are we willing to put our reputation on the line, our job on the line, our life on the line? Are we willing? You know that scripture, don't you know, in John 21 said, uh, it showed how you were going to glorify the Lord through his life and his death. Uh, you know, to be a missionary, you've got to be willing to put your life on the line, whether it's home or it's abroad. Are we willing? And then finally, I want to point out something else that we didn't point out here, is how much Jesus loves the church. He loves his people. It's his body. Do you remember what he said when he came to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, Saul wasn't, didn't see himself persecuting Jesus. He didn't see himself persecuting God. He was persecuting these people who had lies and were, and were going the wrong way. But Jesus identifies with his people, his body. He loves his church. They're not perfect. They're not all right. But he loves his church. And he's calling us to love it too. I tell you what, I love the church. And, and I'm so glad that God straightened me out when I was in college about the church on that football field. Because he had called me to the church. and Because and, I'm just like you and you're just like me. And we need each other. God wants to move through each of us in, in and out of our lives so that we fulfill our calling and so that we become like Jesus. Just like he did with Paul. Just like he did with Ananias. Just like he's always done. So I want to invite you to stand this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then I also want to invite you to, to speak with Jessica out in the lobby. In fact, Jessica, why don't you make your way out there so that if there's anybody that wants to talk to you, they won't have to wait for you. You can ask her more questions. Um, she may even have some information to pass along to you. I don't know. Um, and you can also let her know that you're praying for her. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful and thankful that you called us by name, and that you're calling still. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who hasn't heard you call their name, who hasn't yet had a revelation that you exist and you're real, Lord God, I ask in the name of Jesus for your grace to be poured out and for you to speak their name and to give them that revelation. And then, God, I pray that you give us all strength to do what's next, to ask you, God, what must we do?
And then help us, Lord, to respond obediently to what you tell us to do. Just like these disciples did in this passage. That we would continue to walk this, the, the walk of faith until we're saved. Until we're fulfilling our calling. Until we've received the power of the Spirit. Until the blindness has been taken off of our eyes and we see clearly our life and our, our vision and our ministry. God bless your people this morning. Everyone here, bless them and let them know you have a plan for them. Father, that you have a call and help them to stay dependent on you and dependent on their brothers and sisters around them as they fulfill their call. So Lord, we love you. And we just ask again, Lord, maybe you have spoken already a number of times. God, call again. And help us not to not answer or, not, or hang up or put it on silent. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen, amen. Lord bless you today.